Everybody loves a, a good underdog story, right? Like maybe it's in literature and, and maybe it's with Frodo, right? He's this, just this small hobbit and he ultimately saves the world, right? He destroys the ring. Uh, or, or maybe you're a Hunger Games fan and you want to see Katniss and, and she ultimately, she takes down President Snow and Pan Am or, 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 or maybe, maybe you're a sports fan, right? We're in Virginia, so if you're a UVA fan, sorry, I got to do it. But, uh, you know, there's the classic underdog story. You lost, right? You lost in the first seed and the 16th seed just came in. I'm from North Carolina, so I can, I can totally just do this. It's great. Or, you know, there's, of course, maybe you like maybe older sports and in the 80s, right, when America, the U.S. versus the Russians, right in in the hockey olympics and it was just man it was great i mean if that doesn't just get you pop you just just pumped up i don't know what will there's all these underdog types of stories and you know all of these they, they can be called these kind of david versus goliath type of stories and which is interesting right because that's of course a bible story right but it's just right there planted in the midst of pop culture of this david versus goliath who's going to win you know, today we're, we're continuing in our series, On the Road. As we look at Jesus' claim in Luke chapter 24, right after his resurrection, he makes this bold claim that the entire Bible is all about him. Quite a claim, right? So we're zooming into that claim as we look at this series, looking at different kind of high points in the Old Testament to see that Jesus, the, really, the, the Bible is all about Jesus. And so today we find ourselves in one of, if not the most famous story in the Old Testament, which is David and Goliath, right? David versus Goliath, the little guy taking on the big guy. And so often when we look at this story, maybe you've heard a sermon, maybe you've done a Bible study, read a book. So often when we hear this story, we hear it as if it's all about us and how we can overcome the giants in our lives, right? The, the problems that we have, because let's be honest, like we do have very real problems, metaphorical giants in our lives. I mean, maybe, maybe it's your job, whether it's your boss or the work situation you're in, and you're like, this is horrible, and I don't know what I can do about it. Or, or, or maybe, just maybe, you have a sin problem going on in your life, and you're just, I don't know how I can overcome this. Maybe there's some family dynamic. Maybe there's just some problem you have in your life, some enemy, some Goliath, some giant, and you hope that you can overcome it. But so often, when we read the story of David and Goliath, we, we read it wrongly. To quote Pastor Matt Chandler, in the story, do you know what, want to know where you are? I'll just give you a spoiler. You're not David. Like, I'm not David. You're not David. In fact, we'll see exactly who we are in the story. And it's not the 21st century Western, you know, Disney princess-infused version that our eyes like to see, that I can become the hero, that I could be like that. Now, friends, the whole Bible, including this story, it's not about you. It's certainly not about me. It's not even really about David, but it's about Jesus. And the good news is that in the midst of all of our problems, that there really is a root to that, a root problem, an ultimate problem, an ultimate giant, an ultimate enemy. And the good news that we'll see in this passage, and really our big idea, is this, that Jesus defeated our ultimate enemy. And that's the hope that we can find here in the midst of 1 Samuel 17 that we're going to see as we see the gospel and see that it's all about Jesus. Let's pray and jump in together. Father, we thank you this morning that we can gather around your word. I pray that in light of the fact that Jesus did walk out of the grave, that you would empower me now, that I could boldly share your gospel, that your spirit would advance the gospel in and amongst us right now. Father, we thank you so much. We pray every single week for different missional partners we have and missional aims. 
Father, for Riverside Elementary School, right here in our neighborhood. Father, we believe that our proximity is purposeful, that you have put us right here to be on mission for amongst a few things for them. Father, I thank you for Teacher Appreciation Week and that we could be on mission for them in very tangible ways this past week. I pray that you would use that, you would bless that, Father, to be able to sow gospel seeds of love and care and that ultimately, not just through gospel deed, but also through gospel proclamation and word, that we could share the gospel with the teachers, the faculty, the, the students, the parents there. Father, I pray that you would do a miracle, that you would work a miracle just right down the road, a throne stowaway there, and right here, right now amongst us through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17. There's a lot of ground to cover, so I'm going to hit the gas and go. So 1 Samuel 17, verse 1, it says this, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdamim. Now, I know you know all of these places. You've visited these places. You know everything they're talking about. Or you're like me, and, you know, if you need a little help here. Uh, you know, these are places that the fact that the Philistines are going in, that they're actually going into these areas, this is really bad news. Like, this is bad news because they're starting to get further and further into Judah. And if you were with us last week, the, the Philistines, like these really bad guys. Like, yeah, they're advanced in their culture. They, they have advanced uh, war techniques. They're using iron before anyone else. But as well, they are wicked, wicked pagan worshipers. And they've, it's the essentially like someone has taken over half of America now. Like they're entreating in. I've heard one pastor say that it's like now they've gotten all the way to Texas and now Texas is about to fall. This is a horrible, horrible thing. Verse two, it says, and Saul. Now who's Saul? Saul is the king at this time, right? He's the guy that they wanted. All the judges, people like Samson and others, like they totally just failed. They were horrible. So they said, we want a king like everybody else. We want someone that's tall, that's good looking, that, that just looks like a king and acts like a king and talks like a king. But Saul, he's not going to be very kingly in this passage. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in the line of battle against the Philistines. They're right up against them. Again, everything's going to go down right here. This matters. Verse 3. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So you have this valley of Elah. They're each on these mountains, these hills, across from each other. And this, this valley is about a mile wide. And in this, you're thinking this is going to be just this epic battle, right? Like just, just think this battle of Middle Earth or the battle of 300. That's what's going to go down, right? It's a little different. Verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath. You know this, right? He's of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Six cubits, that's nine feet, and a span is nine inches. This dude is nine foot nine. Now, your Bible might have a footnote in it saying that it's possibly four cubits and a span, meaning six, nine. I don't want, I, we don't have time to go into all the details, but I just want to encourage you with this. Friends, you can trust your Bible because it actually is telling you about this discrepancy. It's telling you that, hey, this is there, and it, because of a translation, as they're translating from Hebrew all the way into Greek, as they're trying to expand the Bible and the more people to be able to read and study, there's this discrepancy. They're not trying to hide it from you. And the reality is that doesn't change anything. Because the Israelites, they're somewhere around five feet tall, maybe just a few inches taller. They're really short. And so someone, whether they're 6'9 or 9'9, they're incredibly tall. They are a giant to them. It seems, though, from the context that they are actually, that he actually is 9'9". Let me show you why. Verse 5. It says, he had a helmet of bronze on his head. That's really heavy, right? 
He then, as well, uh, was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And we'll come back to this coat of mail and why it matters later, but really in this, in this kind of mesh-like uh, armor, it weighs about 120 to 125 pounds, just like on his coat, right? That's what his shirt, that's what his jacket weighs. And he had bronze armor on his legs. He's also wearing armor here. And then a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. It's about 14 to 15 pounds, just the end of it. Now, I'm a tall person. If you ever wondered, I'm six foot four. All right, so if he's six foot nine, I know when you look at me, you're like, Daniel, you're just the peak of physical fitness. Like, you could clearly lift all this. I know that's what you're thinking. Obviously, you're not. That's ridiculous. I can't. Uh, so that's why I think most likely he really is nine foot nine. And, and here's why that matters, though it really doesn't matter if he's six nine or nine nine. There's something supernatural going on about Goliath, right? Like, when you look at him, it's like, that's a little weird, right? That's not natural. That's not normal. That's the definition of supernatural. But it's not just in that sense as well. It, it's, you, you learn where he's from. He's a Philistine from Gath, that he's actually a descendant of someone that we learned about earlier in our series in Genesis, the Nephilim and the Anakim. Now, if you remember back a few weeks ago, if you were with us, with the Nephilim and, and his, the Anakim as well, that most scholars actually say that there's something supernatural, even demonic, going on with them. He's a descendant from them. And so that's our first clue that there's something supernatural, well, past the, the obvious clue that he's humongous, right? But then there's a second clue, too. With that coat of mail, you know, in the Hebrew, actually, the translation there is it's like scales. And what has scales? A snake has scales. Here, the author of Samuel is purposefully trying to draw out and show you that this supernatural person who's really tall, who's from the descendants of the Nephilim, the Anakim, he's also dressed like a snake. That this representative, that's what's happening here, this representative warfare where he's going to go out here and he's going to say, I'm in a fight. You don't have to fight everybody else. I'm in a fight in their place. And whoever wins against whoever you want to send, that's who wins the battle. And so who is the Philistines warrior? It's a representative of Satan himself. Uh, really, their true enemy. That's who Goliath is. So when you have this in mind, don't just think this really tall dude for some reason no, there's something supernatural. He's representing someone else and something else, our ultimate enemy. And he says, verse 8, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But I, if I prevail against him and kill him, which I will, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Here what we learn is ultimately Goliath. He is, he is defying, he is shouting out against God's people and ultimately God himself. Again, in this representative warfare, he, Goliath, is representing the Philistines. He's just saying, hey, let's just do this one-on-one -on -one, and I'm going to win. And whoever wins, ultimately, but again, it's, it's going to be me, they'll win the battle. You know, again, Goliath is representing something much more. He's representing Satan. He's representing our sin and death and hell and all of these enemies that ultimately flow from Satan himself. And friends, that's an enemy that, just like the Israelites, we can't beat. 
I mean, in fact, check it out. What, what's the Israelites' response to this? Verse 11. It says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They are terrified and they are just brokenhearted. They're like, there is no chance. I have no chance to get this nine foot nine. He's twice my size. He's fought his entire life. How could I defeat this person? And friends, spiritually, this is the same for you and me. There is absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing that you or I can do against our enemy. Not by yourself. Not in and of ourselves. We can't try hard enough. We can't be a good enough person. We can't give enough. You can't go to enough church services. You can't serve enough. You can't do anything enough to save yourself. To, to get yourself out of the problem, this sin problem. You can't do enough to, to, to make it where you won't die. You can't do it enough where you won't go to hell by yourself. There's nothing we can do to, to, to escape the grasp of our enemy. Because as we saw last week, who are we against our God when we sin? It says that we are at enmity, at war, that we are enemies of God. Paul even says that, that we are dead in our sin. Friends, we can't save ourselves. We have a, an ultimate enemy that is beyond ourselves. And there's nothing we can do about it. Thankfully, though, we're only about 10 minutes into the sermon. So where is the hope? The hope is found in the next scene. Think over, that it's sliding over to a different scene on a countryside. Verse 12. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse. Now friends, we're already getting clues here how David is pointing us to Jesus. Because where is it promised that Jesus would come from? He would come from the line of David, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would come from the line of Jesse. That's where Jesus is coming from. Here, David, it says, who had, he's, uh, he's from his father, Jesse, and Jesse had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the king, the man was already old and advanced in years. Which, just a side note, you know, today's Mother's Day, right? If you're talking to a dude, your dad, you can say, hey, dad, you're old, advanced in years. But just a tip, you should not tell your mom that. Even if it's true, don't tell her she's old and advanced in years. Not a good idea, okay? Just, just a pro tip there. Anyway, so uh, he continues on. Jesse's really old. He's got a bunch of sons and uh, supposed uh, probably daughters too. Verse 13, the three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. They're off at the war. The names of the three sons that were at the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, Abinadab, and then the third, Shammah. So apparently, uh, Jesse and his wife, they were really creative when their sons were firstborn. And then at the end, they're like, I don't know, what's the most popular name? I guess it's David. Okay, uh, verse 14. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. Again, the three oldest, they were at war. But what's David doing? Well, this verse 15. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. He's a shepherd. And occasionally he would go out and he would kind of deliver packages to, to his family, right? But David, he's a shepherd boy. He's there, he's caring for the sheep. He's, he's protecting them, he's feeding them, he's, he's guiding them, he's leading them. He's being faithful where he's at. David here, he's, he's most likely too young to be in the military. Very similar to us today, they probably had to be roughly around 20 years old. He's probably a teenager or something at this time. But it says, verse 16, going back to the scene at the war, for 40 days the Philistine came forward, took his stand morning and evening. 
It's really this idea of the 40 days in the morning and evening. It's this idea of completion. That it's this complete testing and refining that's going on for these 40 days, the day in and day out, relentlessly. There's this defiance against God and his people. So who's going to save them? Who's going to save us of this unrelenting enemy that we have of death and sin and hell and the grave? Verse 17. And Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah and ephah in his parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. It's like, man, your brothers, they're tired, they're hungry. You know how much they love bread. Go bring them some bread. Verse 18. And then, hey, go, go smooth the leader, right? He says, take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. You know, when you're at war, who doesn't want a good cheese platter, right? So if your brothers are well, bring them some token from them. He says, after you bring them, that, if they're doing all right, like, bring something back from them. I want to see it. I don't want to just hear a report. Like, I want to see that they gave you something, that they're okay. Right? I mean, you're a parent. If, if you are a parent here, you, you know this feeling. You want to know your, your child's okay. That, that's what's happening here. It says this, though. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the Valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. He's basically the author saying, you remember where they are, right? They're there fighting against the Philistines. They're there, and this warrior Goliath, he's mocking them. He's mocking God. Verse 20. Well, David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions as well as Jesse had commanded him. Again, David's already pointing us back to Jesus. Where David here, he's being a faithful shepherd. He's taking care of his sheep even when he's gone. He's making sure that someone's going to watch over them. And he's bringing these provisions. He's going to provide for his family, and he's obeying his father. Just like our true and better David does. That Jesus, he's promised that he is the true and better. He is the good shepherd. The one that watches over us, that keeps us, and that protects us, and keeps us in his hands. He's the one that ultimately provides for us, his family, and as well, he always obeys his father. Jesus is all throughout the story. David's pointing us to him. And he, David, he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. It's apparently in the morning now, and this, uh, the, the war cry is being cried out. They're there, they're, they're going to line up, and the whole, the whole thing is going to happen again. Goliath is going to yell out. He's going to say, hey, I'm going to battle you. Who's going to come out? Verse 21, and Israel and the Philistines, they drew up the battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage. He leaves it at baggage claim and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And he's all excited, probably says, hey, as he talked with him, behold, the champion, the Philistine of the Gath, Goliath, by name, came up by the ranks of the Philistines. He's like, hey, guys, I'm here. I've got this bread. I've got this cheese for your, for your commander. But then he sees Goliath. Goliath is there, and he spoke the same words as before, mocking God, mocking his people. And at the end of verse 23, and David heard him. Friends, Jesus, he knows all about our enemy. He knows about the pain that you have because of sin and death. He knows all of the struggles that you have because of our enemy, Satan, and what he has brought in your life. And friends, just like our true and better David, Jesus, he he knows about it, and he hears it, and he did something about it. Keep going with me. Verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled, and they were afraid. They knew there was nothing they could do. They were terrified. There's nothing we can do to defeat this enemy. Verse 25. And the men of Israel said, 
have you seen this man who's come up? They're talking to David. They said, man, this has been going on for 40 days. Surely he's come up to defy Israel. He's going to kill us. They said, but if anybody could defeat him, well, the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. He says, man, if anybody can defeat Goliath, the king will give him three things. The king will make him the richest dude around. Number two, he'll give him his daughter. He'll give him his daughter as a wife, and now he'll, he'll marry into royalty. And then thirdly, his entire family won't have to pay taxes. That's what it means that they will be free. That his entire family, for the rest of their lives, won't have to pay taxes. What an amazing thing, by the way. Can we just talk about that? Can we think about that? That'd be awesome. Anyway, this dude's going to be loaded. He's going to marry into the princess, and he's never going to have to pay taxes. But nobody will stand up against him. What's going to happen? I mean, everybody is just still afraid and fleeing. And David said to the men who stood by him, they're all afraid, they're all terrified and sad. David says, this teenager, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from evil, from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, this guy who's a pagan worshiper, he doesn't love Jesus, he's not following the one true God, Yahweh, that he should defy the armies of the living God. Who is this guy? We have God on our side. God promised us this land. And this guy is coming in and saying that he wants to take that over. That's not going to happen. God promised us this. And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Again, you'll be loaded. You'll get all this money. You'll get the princess. You'll, you won't have taxes. You will receive all these rewards if you defeat him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. He heard David talking. And you would think maybe Eliab's going to try to talk him down like Daniel. Not Daniel, that's my name. Uh, David. <laughs> David, you got to chill out, bro. Like, you're just a little guy. Like that, He's not going to do anything. What, what are you going to do? You're going you know, to bite his ankles? Like, you're not going to beat this guy? You would think that's what he's going to do. You would think he would talk him down or you'd give him the strategies of how to beat him. But that's not what he does. No, it says, Eliab, his eldest brother, when he heard, his anger was kindled against David. He's ticked. He said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left the few sheep in the wilderness? Bro, you're a shepherd. What are you doing here? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Friends, Eliab totally misunderstands everything that David's trying to do here. I mean, David is truly just crying out in defense of God. And Eliab just gets ticked off on him. And can we just be real with each other for a second? Like so often, this can happen in the church. Now, by God's grace, God has protected Catalyst. And we really have had this wonderful covering from the Lord of unity in the gospel. But friends, just like that, God's people can turn on each other can start to misunderstand what we're doing and why we're doing that. And thinking that when someone's trying to just be faithful to the Lord and what He's called us to do, and, and others just attack them. Friends, that's why we as covenant members, we have promised in our church covenant that we would protect the unity of the church. That we would prize the gospel above everything else and let everything else fall on the wayside. Friends, we have to be on guard against the enemy. Because while the enemy, yes, is there on Goliath, and he's across the way, and he's mocking them, the enemy is whispering into their ears. He's hissing, that snake is hissing in their ears of fighting against sin. He's your enemy too. 
But friends, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have a mission that Christ has given us to advance the gospel. We must protect this church unity and protect the gospel at all costs and not let the whispers of a lie lie to us. Friends, that we would love and be patient with one another and call each other back to the gospel. Here, David responds in verse 29. He says, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? Didn't I just, I was just responding to what was said. In verse 30, he he knows he didn't do anything wrong, so he turned away from toward him, and he spoke in the same way to someone else. And the people answered him again as before. They said, man, if you kill him, whoever kills him as the representative, they'll get all these things. Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, like words starting to get around, right? Everyone else is just like sad and crying and terrified for 40 days, and someone else is actually having boldness and courage. So the word gets around. And King Saul hears, and he sends for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant, I will go. Send me. Here am I. Send me. And I will fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Bro, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight against him. You're just but a youth. You're a tiny, young teenager. You can't fight this man. This man's been at war from his youth. He's been fighting longer than you've been alive. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and and they took a lamb from the flock, what did I do? I went after him. I struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I listen to this, this is nuts. I caught him by his beard, talking about a lion's mane, and struck him and killed him. Dude grabbed a lion, punched him in the face, and killed him. Like, that's, that's insane. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And who's this dude? This uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. Why? This is really important. Why does he have such confidence? Why does he have such boldness? Is it because he apparently is this master-like fighter? Nope. For because. This man, Goliath, defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord is the one who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, and the same Lord will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Why does David have so much confidence? It ain't in his abilities, it ain't in his strength, it's not in his intellect, it's not in anything that he can do, even though apparently he's done some pretty amazing things. But it's in the Lord. Friends, we in the church, we have been given this task to advance the gospel. That by the Spirit, we would take this gospel forward in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, into the world. And so often, the enemy wants to lie to us. Not just lie to us and, and, and sow, sow, sow these seeds of discord, but as well to lie to us. That, you know why that person got saved? You know why the, this or that thing's happening? You, know, you want to know why this ministry is growing? It's because, man, you're, you're really talented. Like, you're really good at playing that music. Or, you know, you're really good at communicating. Or, you're really good at, at greeting people. Or, you're really good at this or that. I know the enemy wants to lie to me about those things all the time, and he wants to lie to you as well. Friends, it has nothing to do with me or you, but it's all because of Jesus and what he's doing in and through us. Friends, it's not because David is some impressive dude. He's a teenager. Now, if you're a teenager, don't be offended by that. That's not the point. The point is, David is not the point. It's Jesus. It's what Jesus is doing in and through his people to advance his mission. And here... He's going to defeat Goliath. It says this. 
Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. He says, I'm going to pray for you, bro, but you're going to die. That's probably what he's thinking. Verse 38. Then Saul said, well, if you're going to go fight him, why don't you take my armor? Because I'm too chicken to go out there myself. Saul clothed David with his armor. He puts on the king's armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head, clothed him with a coat of mail. He's, he's looking a lot like Goliath at this point, right? And David, he strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. He hadn't worn them before. He hadn't used that before. Right? He's just been a shepherd. And David said to Saul, I can't go with these because I've not tested them. I've never worn this. I can't, I can't do this. So David took them off. And he took his staff in his hand, his shepherd's staff, and chose five smooth stones from the brook. He went over to this river nearby and got five stones and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. David is coming, and he is the representative in this war. And he's not the one that you would ever think would be the guy. You'd think it'd be Saul. It should be Saul. He's the king. He's the guy that's head and shoulders over everyone else. He's the leader. But he's terrified and says, I mean, you can take it. But he comes out and he's just there, dressed in his shepherd's garb. He's got his staff. He's got his sling. And this is not, this is not like a kid's toy. No, this is something that would fight off those bears and lions. This is something that could be swung incredibly fast, incredibly hard. It can shoot a rock about the speed of a bullet. This is incredibly powerful. But David is, is not the person you would expect. He's not supposed to be there. It's supposed to be the king. And the point of that is not to be in awe of David, but to point you to who is ultimately supposed to be there. Who is ultimately going to defeat our enemies. And it's not David, but it's the true and better David. It's the next David. It's Jesus. So David, he goes out. He goes out, he's going to attack the Philistine. Verse 41, And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. This dude is so big, his shield is so big, he needs someone to carry the thing for him. And when the Philistines looked and saw David, he disdained him. Like he hated him. He was angry. And the first reason you totally get, he's angry because of his youth, right? You can put yourself into Goliath's massive Ronald McDonald shoes here. And you're just thinking, of course, you're going to be angry. I've been out here for 40 days and you're going to send this little boy, he's going to call him a dog with sticks here in just a second. It's like, of course you're ticked off, you're offended by that. It's like, man, we've been wasting all this time. But look at the other reasons. It says that he's also disdained, he's angry because he's ruddy, or, or perhaps he has a nice, per, per, uh, he has a nice uh, looking face, he's handsome in appearance. Apparently, Goliath is just really like ugly, and he really is a little self-conscious because he gets angry because David looks good. He's like, man, at least put someone ugly out here. Like, come on, what are we doing out here, guys? They're, they're offended, really, because it's like, of course this person's not going to fight. Like, this guy is just like a young model. Like, why are you sending him out? The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He's mocking David. He's defying David. And he's defying God by crying out to his gods. He's talking smack. But David's a really good uh, smack talker too. Verse 44. It says, The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. That's terrifying. But David says this. David says to the Philistines, 
You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. You know what I come to you with? I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will, give your, I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. <laughs> he's, a good, he's a good smack talker. But why is this going to happen? Why is God going to use David to do this? For David's glory? For Israel's glory? No. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That all this assembly, everyone around us, the Israelites, the Philistines, that everyone here with us may know that the Lord saves, not with his sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. He says, you're going to die because God said so. Man, I don't want to mess with David. I'm just going to be honest. If that doesn't get you riled up. So what happens? Well, you know the story. Verse 48 the Philistine rose. He's ticked off. He's ready, right? Like, he's not just ticked off because he's handsome and young and whatever. Like, he's ticked off because he's talking smack to him. And so the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David. He's like, all right, let's do this. Come on. And so these representatives, they're going to fight. They're going to battle. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it. He's swinging this around, round and around, and he strikes the Philistine on his forehead. And it goes so hard, so fast, that the, sun, that the stone sank into his forehead. I mean, he gets, a, he gets a headshot. And he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. And remember, David said, I am going to cut off your head. But it says, he doesn't have a sword. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. So what did he do? David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath. He apparently stabbed him, and then he killed him, and he cut off his head with it. This is a nice kid story, by the way. Like, David kills Goliath. I mean, it is the underdog story. It is the David and Goliath story, right? Like, it's just crazy that David would kill this man, that he would defeat him, that this representative of Israel in their place, that he would die that rather he would kill Goliath and that he would die. This is amazing. But so often, again, we, we read this story and we read it as if it's all about David. And then from there, well, if it's David, then it's about us. But friends, it's not about David. Friends, Goliath here is representing our enemy, Satan. And David, as we pointed out time and time again, he is pointing to the true and better David, the true and better shepherd, the true and better provider, the true and better obeyer of his father, because you don't want David as your savior. You're going to see just a few decades later that David is going to turn out to be a lying, murdering adulterer. You don't want him as your savior because he is terrible at it. You want a true and better David. You want Jesus of Nazareth, the one who comes as the true representative of warfare, the one who comes and live the perfect sinless life that David did it and that you don't and I don't. And the one who comes and he dies as your representative and he fights the battle that you can't fight. And he fights it by giving up his life. And by giving up his life, he is dying in your place. 
said, you don't have to. He fought against the enemy and he died. But then, friends, three days later, he rose again, proving that in his death was not just to take some sacrificial death so then now the enemy is appeased. No, in his death, he is standing on the serpent's head and he is crushing it. He is cutting off the serpent's head and he defeated our enemy, Satan, death, hell, and the grave. Our sin is no more. And friends, his resurrection is the receipt that he has defeated the enemy. That anyone who repents and believes the gospel turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus is given salvation, is given life. And isn't that the scandal of the gospel? That here, David, he's going to receive all those riches. He's going to receive the king's daughter. He's going to receive no more taxes for the rest of the life. But who receives it in the gospel? It's you. It's me. Anyone who repents, they give life. They get salvation. They get the riches of the king. They get, they're given into God's family. They're adopted by God the Father. They get all the riches. They get all the spoils. Because Jesus was their representative in their place. That's the scandal of the gospel. And that's the point of David and Goliath. It's not about you. It's not about me. If we're anywhere in this story, we are the scared Israelites on the sideline who are trusting in a King Saul, something or someone to try to save us, who's just as terrified and is just as hopeless as we are. Friends, we need a true and better Saul. We need a true and better David. And there is a response, though. That in light of the fact that this happened, something else happened. It triggered this response. Check it out, the, the rest of verse 51 and following. It says, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The enemy, they fled away. And the men of Israel, the ones for 40 days who have been terrified, who have been just weeping and, and scared to death, the men of Israel and Judah, they rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shurim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. He has the head of the enemy. He put his armor in his tent. Friends, the response to David's work is that the terrified Philistines were now emboldened to live out and advance God's mission of reclaiming God's land that he had promised to his people. Friends, this story is not about you and me. It's about David. It's about David pointing ultimately to Jesus. But we do see this principle in there that does apply directly to you and me. That here, the Israelites were terrified. And once their Savior came and defeated their enemy, they are now emboldened to advance God's mission. And friends, in the same way, our enemy has been defeated. Now, the snake is still thrashing. His head has been cut off, but his tail is whipping around. We experience the suffering and sin and death of this world still until Jesus returns and he ultimately defeats our enemy. Friends, this thrashing is what we still experience. This is why there's hardship in your life. This is why we have these metaphorical enemies and giants in our life still. But friends, because of Jesus' work on the cross, while we still experience these things, there is no more sting left. Yes, our life is still hard, but ultimately we know that our true enemy has been defeated. That sin and death and hell are defeated. That Jesus has done the work. 
And He gives us His Spirit, empowering us with His Spirit and giving us spiritual gifts to go forward, to to protect the unity of the church, to be able to, to advance the kingdom of God, to advance the gospel as He goes with us. And friends, we have a mission right in front of us, right around us. Whether it's Riverside Elementary School, whether it's the 1,500 to 2,000 homes right within a one-mile walking distance, whether it's CNU with roughly 5,000 students there, and then the 180,000 people here just in our city. Friends, we have been given this calling by Jesus to make disciples and deploy them out for gospel mission right here in Newport News and to the nations. And I know it's big, and I know it's scary. But friends, who do we have to fear? Because Jesus has come and he has won the war. And by his spirit, he empowers us to take that gospel forward. And friends, we know the end of the story. That Jesus, who has cut off the head, he will return. And he will end that snake once and for all soon. Let's go forward and let's advance the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for Jesus our hope, and our salvation. Without him, we are hopeless. We have an enemy that we can't do anything about. We have sin and death and hell all captured in our enemy, Satan. But Father, in your kindness, you sent Jesus to be our representative in the warfare and to die in our place, to defeat our enemy and to give us all the spoils, all the riches in Christ. We thank you so much for Jesus. Father, I pray for anyone here who has not seen this good news, not heard this good news and responded by repenting and believing that today would be the day. That, Father, you would use me, a sinful man, the words that I have just preached, that you would use those to advance your gospel, that your spirit would bring conviction, that they would repent and believe. And, Father, for us, the saints, that we would go out and boldly proclaim, boldly advance the gospel, knowing that your spirit is doing the work. That just as Jesus promised in the Great Commission that He he would be with, with us always, that the Spirit is with us, empowering us and taking the gospel forward. Father, would we see gospel change right in this room? Would we see gospel change right here in our community, right here in this one mile radius? Father, would we see gospel change in our city and would we see it to the nations? That's what we're asking. Would you use us? a bunch of nobodies, a bunch of people with no skills. God, God, someone like me, would you use us to advance your gospel as we disciple and deploy for gospel mission? In Jesus' name, amen.